now we read from the next chapter, Genesis 7, verses 1 through 16. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each, seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort, and they went into the ark to Noah two by two of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what was Noah's life really all about? And what was the flood all about? Was Noah just another made up out of thin air, idealized good guy, a noble archetypical figure meant to inspire the rank and file to become goody two-shoes? Who take our place as good doobies in society, as those who won't rock the boat, excuse the pun, but, but rather who will cooperate with ancient kings and current industrialists who need hard workers, who are self-starters, willing to buck their peer group and do what is necessary to get the job done. 
Is he just a made-up guy meant to inspire us to be the minority who goes to work when other people are laughing at us? Well, who knows if they were laughing at Noah, but it's a possibility when he was building that ark and there was no flood water approaching as far as they could see. And is the story of the flood found in Genesis 6 through 9 just another in the laundry list of ancient Near East myths? designed to explain what was a commonly shared experience in space and time. Namely, the sudden arrival from all quarters, above and below, that flooded the earth in ancient days. Now, there are stories explaining the flood from around the whole world, which is a factor supporting the historical occurrence of a worldwide flood. Why would there be stories about it if it didn't happen over there too? Indeed, I believe that there's a worldwide flood that causes and explains of the geological formations, like I've mentioned, even the, the, the Grand Canyon. And I believe that it went beyond ancient Israel and ancient Syria and ancient Turkey. As we read last week, the historical reason for the flood and the re and its extent, verse 11 of chapter 6, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence, verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them in the earth, with the earth. And verse 17, behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So was the flood just what they call an etiology, sort of a story of causes? Why do giraffes have long legs? Next, and why do aardvarks get long snouts? Is it just an explanation for this surprising flooding that happened? If it's simply a story of causes made up, well, we can take our pick. Was it the Enuma Elish epic in Babylonian literature, or was it the story of the flood from Vietnam? Virtually every Southeast Asian ethnic group in Vietnam tells a story of a great flood that leaves only two survivors who must consummate their union. Sometimes their siblings and sometimes the mist has a woman and a dog. But from this incestuous abnormality is born a gourd or a gourd-shaped lump of flesh. And the gourd becomes the source for various ethnic groups. Yes, there are stories all over the map from the Sumerian city of Nippur around 1600 BC, the hero who was King Siusudra. The Sumerian flood myth probably derives from an earlier version, but it tells how uh, that this Siusudra builds a boat and rescues life when the gods decide to destroy it. There was no particular reason giving for the destruction. It's just that he went and got busy, and aren't we appreciative of Siasudra? And then the Gilgamesh epic itself, the god Ea warned Utnapishtim and instructed him to build an enormous boat to save himself. 
And even the gods, you know, the other gods, not the chief god, Ea, but the other gods, they were scared and they ran off to the heavens and they curled up in a fetal crouch like dogs cowering against a wall. And then there is the Babylonian Atrahasis version. The flood is sent to reduce human overpopulation. And after the flood, other measures are taken to limit humanity. And then in the Philippines, there's the revenge for illegal digging in the bed of a stream. And so they dug there when it dried up, and then as punishment, the gods sent a flood. We have many, many possible reasons. And from what you have heard already today in previous Sundays, the sheer nobility of the biblical account, the absence of stories like other gods crawling away from the flood, the Godward focus elevating all of this account shows an intrinsic beauty to this biblical account. My purpose is not to mock the other. It is to say there are others, and this is the truth. This commends itself to us, as the Westminster Confession says, the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, the full, so as to give glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation. There was only one way to be saved in Noah's day and it was to get on to the ark. See, these all are given in our Westminster standards as points that point to the truth of this text in Genesis 7. The man Noah himself is no creation of a manipulative power structure. It's not the creative idea of some conquering power who gets to write the history, as the postmoderns would say. It rather is a man who truly lived in space and time, who trusted and obeyed. The true history of the flood is part of the organic whole of the scriptures, this unity of the Bible has Jesus speaking of Noah, but as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of man, coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Christ would soon die at the cross. Indeed, as our sister Annie sang, love crucified arose. And so it is in the victory of that crucifixion and the resurrection that we receive Jesus Christ as the propitiation and the payment for our sin, but also the divinely authoritative attestation to the truth of the word. And so we hear his warning, the warning that as in the past there was a worldwide flood that happened, it took them all away. We also accept that the New Testament written after Jesus is God's word as we read in Hebrews eleven seven, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear 
prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Here's the reason God moved Noah to faith. By faith, Noah was warned. And so as we study God's word this morning, we focused on Noah's trust, and we believe that that led to his obedience. Salvation is by faith alone. You cannot work yourself into heaven. But faith is never alone. It's always followed by obedience. And so we see three sections to this text all followed at the end of each section by the phrase that the Lord commanded him. Verses 1 through 5, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 5, This is the command to Noah to have him and his household enter the ark. We are not alone. We have a responsibility to our families. Verses 6 through 9, Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God commanded Noah. Here the command to enter is explained why. Faith calls us to take actual steps of obedient escape from the perils of sin. And then the third section, verses 10 through 16, verse 16 ends, so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Faith blesses us with security in Christ, never to be endangered again. So let's start at verses 1 through 5. A command to Noah and his household to enter the ark. In verse 1, we see that Noah is seen as one who is righteous before me in this generation. You are before me personally. There is a very personal aspect here of justification. It isn't just a judge standing, looking down from the dock and saying, not guilty. It is rather that here is a man who stands before me for fellowship with me. And we see that back in chapter 6, verse 8, when we read in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. See, there's relationship. It's, it's not just the judge. God is a judge. He's also our Heavenly Father. He's also one who wants to walk with us. There's where you get the faith, okay? It's talked about in Hebrews, but here is a walk with God. We don't obey out of a super attenuated, I'm going to prove myself to God and do enough good things to get into heaven on my own. We obey God because he's changed our hearts. He's given us a relationship and we want to please him. We want to be in that relationship, as it says in Hebrews chapter number 11. The walking with God was something that Enoch also did. And in verse 5 of Hebrews 11, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony 
that he, that he pleased God. You recall in chapter 5 of Genesis, Enoch was the man who walked with God and was taken away without going through death. He wanted to please God. Trusting God means you've forgiven me. You've given me a new star, and now I want that walk with you. We need to escape coming judgment. We also need God right now in our walk because we got big problems inside. Problems of sin and guilt, problems in our homes and our closest relationships. We need God even on the job where we're working. And we commit ourselves to God to work with him, to rest in him and to receive him, which is faith. So come today and know that relationship with God that you would be seen as righteous before him in your generation, wherever you're working, wherever you're being a light in the darkness. This is not the most, quote unquote, Christian part of the country. They say a beeline between Albany and Burlington, Vermont, would be one of the most secular strips. Well, that passes right over Queensbury, did you know? So I'm saying to you, well, you got a fair amount of unbelief down there in Queens, too. But I'm just saying, here we are. Be a light. Walk with God. And as we see, his great concern here, that he would see a household that is saved. And that is mentioned in Hebrews 11:7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see, this impacts you, but it also impacts your wife or your husband. It impacts your children. It impacts the generations after you. And things like, do you believe that there was a flood? And do you believe like there really was a Noah? These are points of skepticism which can begin to erode your faith in other stuff in the Bible. If you throw that out, well, what else are you going to throw out? I, I've seen it. I've lived 64 years. I have seen skepticism about Old Testament stuff really affect our understanding of Jesus, the Savior and Lord. It, it happens. It happened in my father's family in the 1930s in Suffern, New York. It's happened in the denomination in which I had a relationship. I'm thankful there is a faithful church that has left that denomination now. God bless you in your new denomination out in Iowa. Because they came to a point where they said, no more. We will not abide by the diminution and the dilution of divine truth in some denominations. So we need to be those who care about our house enough that we're going to stand for the truth. And consider this. Consider Noah himself. It's not just all heavy-duty theological stuff. It's sometimes where are we spending our time? How are we devoting ourselves to God in the face of my career? or in the face of my hobbies, my stuff, which I intend to protect at all costs. Even these things can divert us from faith in the Lord and obedience to the Lord. Just think of all the resources that we have, and are we obedient 
in the giving of those resources to the work of the Lord. Think of Noah, who spent all this time on the ark, and what businessmen call opportunity cost. If Noah was working on this, which had uh, a great expense, and he could have paid workmen to do it and worked with his son, that was an opportunity lost on all his other endeavors before that ark was being built. Do you consider that your opportunity lost is worth it when you're devoting yourself to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ? Will you take the opportunity cost and accept it? Will you be a pick and choose person? It says in verse five, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded. Calvin writes, it is not becoming to obey one or another commandment of God only, so that when we have performed a defective obedience, we should feel at liberty to withdraw and said we did our duty. For we must keep in memory the declaration of James in 2.11, for he said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law, unquote. You can't pick and choose. You need to obey the whole. You see, we take a consumer mentality toward the law. We take this attitude like, I can go to the cooler at Stewart's. I'm going to pick this kind of sandwich up. I'm not going to pick that kind of sandwich up. We take that view toward the law. Well, I'll, I'll obey that law, and if I do super well in that area, well, it'll make up for me breaking the law over here. But God has a relationship mindset, not a consumer mentality. He says, walk with me, and I want to walk with somebody that I am following his lead and walking in obedience before him. So consider here even the devotion to the family, but consider, as he says, all these people, all these animals coming on board, all these animals, male and female. We have the clean. Now there's seven because in addition to the reproducing one, they wanted, God wanted him to have some clean animals to be able to sacrifice as soon as he came off the ark. He wanted them there. He didn't want it for a reproduction process before he gave thanks. So when you're saved, will you be in a place where you give thanks right away? So God has a concern for the animals, the birds. And as one commentator puts it, this is a great concern of God for all creation. Jonah 4.11, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? As a commentator, Philip Evisons puts it, the fact that human beings are unique, created in God's image, does not mean we can treat animals just as we like. A concern for his family, for the whole creation. Now we go on to verses 6 through 9. There's a command to go into the ark, and it's explained why. The why is in verse 7. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Faith tells us to take actual steps of obedient escape from the perils of sin. It's one thing to build the ark, and you're still on 
terra firma. Okay, solid ground. Bang, 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 bang. But now you're going on to the arc. You're staking your all inside that big boat. Would you be ready to do that? Are you ready? Will you unite with Christ's church in such a way that you say, I like having my liberty. You know, I like doing my Christian thing out here. You know, and well, you know, I'll go to this pastor and that pastor, and I'll get a little boost, you know, I'll get, get, a, get a boost in my life. And, but are you willing to come on the ark? Are you ready to unite with Christ's church? Are you ready to be accountable to leadership after you see what they're made of? After a while, you see, man, I think they got good judgment. And I think they're trying to teach this. They're not perfect. Wow, you can see that any Sunday morning when you look at me. But they're trying. They're seeking. Would you go on to the ark? Will you trust in Jesus first? And would you, as you trust in him, come into communion with his people in his church. S.G. DeGraff talks about those who come on. He says, the Lord indeed has been wise to decide on judgment. The evil had to be removed if the world was again to live in fellowship with him. It was as though the earth had been reborn through the water. And this lesson applies to our lives too. The evil must die and we must be born again. The Lord will give us new life. Our existence will then find meaning in him. That's what the sacrament of baptism signifies. In baptism also, we are buried under the water and emerge from the water as new creatures. The flood points ahead to baptism. That's church language. That's where baptism happens. It's the language of trusting in Jesus and entering into a community where you receive the marks of salvation because God has changed your life from the inside out. As it says in 1 Peter 3.20, when once the divine long-suffering waited, or when once the divine patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through the water. You need to find escape. You need to come on board. You need to be those who believe what it says in Psalm 29, verse 10. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. He held back the waters, and then he brought the waters, and then he made the waters received. He's enthroned, and he's still on the throne. Will you trust in him? Will you come to him? You have time now. Come. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness. There were those who said, well, Jesus hasn't come again like he said he was going to, so I'll just live my own life. And he said, oh, 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 wait a second. You're calling him slow, and so you don't need to believe in him? His slowness is to give you time to believe. 
The Lord is not slow concerning his promises. Some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Christ is waiting for the full gathering of all his people. And following that 3.9, which I just read, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Come, come to Christ, be saved. Come to him who was crucified and arose. For once the day arrives of his coming, there is no second chance. When the door is shut and you are on the outside, you would be shut out forever. Which brings us to our third point. We are either shut in for salvation or we are shut out <coughs> forever. We read in verse 11, of chapter 7, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. You see all that specificity? This is not myth. This is history. In the days, it says at the beginning of the gospel, according to Luke, it's the good news of Jesus. And it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. The biblical religion is historical. It is in space and time. It really happened. And we know this flood began. There was a great upheaval of the seabed, the great deep, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. That means water came from below. You know, in Florida, there's what's called the Floridan Aquifer. It's beneath all of Florida, portions of Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. It extends into the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. This is just illustrative, okay? So I'm not saying this is the one that broke up. I'm saying this is, it really happens. There's a lot of water down there. And it's 1,000 feet thick, and fresh water can extend to a depth of 2,000 feet below the land surface. He has dominion over the flood, and he brought all this water up, and he, the storm clouds broke forth from above. And this is like a reversal of creation, because in chapter 1, verses 6, 7, we saw that the firmament was dividing the waters. And God divided the waters from under the firmament, that's the sky, from the waters which were above the firmament, that's the clouds. This is bringing all the water back together because you got the stormy rain and you have the waters coming from beneath. Indeed, we see that this is an uncreation so that God would renew creation through the judgment and then the deliverance of Noah and his family members. So how did those animals come? I believe it was supernatural direction upon their very minds that they, verse, the, the 
the, the beast came in after the, the family, Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, and then the beasts, every creeping things after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark, two by two, of all flesh. You know, in the story from ancient Babylon, when the Sumerian myth is recounted, we see that no, we see that the Sumerian heroes close himself in. He shuts the door. Utnapashtim shuts himself in. He's the hero. But here we see verse 16. The Lord shut him in. In pagan religions, man is in charge. He is reaching out to God. He's doing what's necessary. And the gods play a role in their story. But in the biblical faith, the true reality of space and time, we are simply parts of God's story. So come, be part of that story. Get on the ark, be shut in with God's people. Jesus talks about ten virgins. Five of them have enough oil for their lamps because they've gone to shop for it. Others have lamps which will not burn. And they said, will you give us some of your oil? I said, no, go buy, because the groom could come at any time. When they're off buying, the groom comes, those five walk into the wedding ceremony, and the door is shut. They come back from their shopping expedition, and they can't get in. Will you come to Christ now? We come believing now. We come believing that the Spirit is like that oil, and the Spirit and the Word work together always. Come hearing this Word and trust in Him. and Become part of a church wherever you live, or if you live here, you're welcome here. May you come, trust, and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let us pray. Lord, bless this people. Bless them in their homes, wherever they live, and bless those living here that they may find in you a safe and sure repose, a place of keeping, and that they shall never be lost if they come in through faith in Christ to your family. We love you. We pray that all would so love you, that they would want to please you, that they would want to walk with you. Noah walked with God. Help us to have that kind of walk day by day with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.